Well, good morning. We are grateful once again to see a good crowd uh, gathered here together. We've got a few uh, new faces to us, a few visitors, a few folks we may not have seen in a while since we've been able to meet again. We're thankful to you for your physical presence here today. We continue to be thankful for all those who are viewing online and the opportunity that we have for uh, this kind of service to be viewed again later. Appreciate Charles and uh, those, to, especially Charles, who's been doing some of our classes. If you've not had a chance to view those, even if you've not regularly been in the auditorium class um, on Sunday mornings, you can get one of the books in the back that covers the book of Genesis, and those are posted every Sunday morning for most of us, about the time we would normally be here and we're getting ready and that kind of thing, but you can view those later during the week, and it would be a time to, uh, to encourage yourself. We hope that you can be back with us on Wednesday nights. Again, we'll encourage you. We're having an auditorium class here with all of our adults studying a general overview of the Bible. Uh, we had a teenage class for our teenagers and then um, a middle school uh, age class around that age. And then our children have been in the fellowship hall. We posted a picture last Wednesday. Uh, some of the things they're doing, we're trying to give them a bit of an environment like our vacation Bible school. Since we ha were not able to have that earlier this year, uh, they're trying to cover some of those things and enjoy a time of study on Wednesday nights together. So we hope that all of our children and any visitors can be here uh, as they enjoy that. They're able, of course, to social distance a little bit in there as much as is possible. Uh, as they consider some of those things. We just hope that as you feel comfortable, you'll continue to be with us because it's of the most importance that we come together and study the Word of God. I don't believe that the Bible paints a picture that Christianity was meant to do as an individual thing. It's why there's the church. It's why we have one another. Can we do it for a short period? Certainly. Uh, but it's not the way God intended for things to be. It's encouraging when we're together, and we hope that you can be with us as often as possible. Um, we're going to continue in a series this week that we've been covering for two weeks now. And we're going to try to wrap it up this week as we think about uh, one particular topic that really does affect our lives, even though we may not think that. In 1 Kings chapter 18, we know that King Ahab is, is a bad dude. He, he's one of the worst when it comes to many things in life. As he guided the people of God, he was going to lead them down a road. In fact, often when you look in through the, book, the books of the kings and the books of the chronicles, you see statements that when there's a good king, it says that they walked in the way of their father, David. And of course, David wasn't a father uh, by, per se for each one of them in that sense. Um, but he was, of course, this figure. And a figure for good. And so it was an example. And we would say, and people would say, that a good king walked in the ways of David. But when there was an evil king, quite often you would see that they walked in the ways of King Ahab. He's the worst, and by the time we get to Kings, 1 Kings chapter 18, we know that there's a lot of things that he has done that are wrong. And so the charge that's laid against King Ahab here in 1 Kings 18, in verse number 18, before we get to the battle that takes place on Mount Carmel there, as Elijah the prophet of God meets him, he tells him that the problem, the charge that is a problem for King Ahab is that he and his fathers have forsaken the commandments of the Lord. And not only that, but in connection with that, forsaking the Lord, they have gone on and they have followed the Baals. Now again, I think that's a New King James Version term that's used there. You may see the word Balaam that is mentioned. But we understand the Canaanite God that many people reference and the Bible refers to a lot as Baal. And it's like a, a sitcom family, almost if you would. If you watch television and the credits roll from person to person, it often seems like in our lives, and especially in the lives of the people of the world and the children of Israel, they would go through these different Baals, or of course, little g, plural s, 
gods. There are many things that get in the way. And so when we talk about what the Baals are, we're simply meaning, of course, the idea of idolatry. And it's very easy, as we're going to talk about, for us to claim that idolatry was just a problem when there were golden calves around. Or idolatry is just a problem at these temples that you go to and you bow down to these little statues. But it's not exactly the case as we've been looking at over the last few weeks. We've tried to use a few definitions to hone, on, to hone in on exactly what we're talking about. One of those is that an idol is anyone or anything that takes the primary place in our lives. Now the key is, is that the primary place in our life should hold and should be God. God should be the only person, only thing that is in that place. But yet often we put other things in the place of God. And what I think is interesting to consider, we might think of idolatry as maybe a shelf in a room. Or people have these, these shelves in their, their living room or in their home. And there's a primary place, right? That's where the family picture is or, or that kind of thing. And so we think, well, that's the place. And as long as something else stays there, we've got other things that float around it. And that, that would, those wouldn't be the primary place. And what happens is with us is we sometimes will come to services and we'll come to Bible class and we'll think, well, then God's first place in my life. But we've said it goes further than that. In fact, another definition that we mentioned was that idolatry is making a created thing an object of worship. God is the creator, the sustainer. He's given us all good and perfect gifts, as Cody even mentioned just a moment ago uh, so well. Everything comes from him. It's his. We take a created thing that God has blessed us with and given to us, and we make it an object of worship. Last week we talked about relationships, and we said we sometimes refer to our relationships with worship, worshipful ter uh, terms or ideas, that he worships the ground she walks on. Sounds sweet and precious in a romance novel or a romantic comedy movie, but what happens sometimes is we really do that. We really do that, and we put people in the first place, and we put God in the second place, or sometimes even lower. Another one that we referenced was that idolatry is taking a good thing and turning it into an ultimate thing. This may be one of the very best definitions. Last week I referenced a book uh, by a man named Tim Timothy Keller, it's entitled Counterfeit Gods, and it's a, a book about idolatry and how we make things idols in our life. And this is Mr. Keller's definition, and I think it's a great one, to consider that we take good things and we turn them into ultimate things. And we're going to use several of these thoughts this week because uh, what we really want to do is, is hone in on what this means for us as Christians. One new one for you this week is maybe the idea that an idol is anything more important to you than God. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we touched on the fact that, that it has to do with where we spend our time. It has to do with what we set as our standard. If we're willing to change our standard in life, the Word of God, for the people that we love, then that makes relationships an idol to us. If we're willing to give all of our time to our family and our friends, and we would rather be with our loved ones than with the people of God or with God, worshiping God, then maybe that's an idol in our life. An idol is anything more important to you than God. The Bible does discuss what the true issue is with idolatry, though. One of those passages is in Ezekiel chapter 14 and verse number 3. Some of the elders come before Ezekiel, and the word of the Lord comes to Ezekiel, and he says... Son of man, these men have set up idols in their hearts. 
See, once again, we focus sometimes on temples or on places of worship. We focus on a spot where a statue or a painting or something like that might sit that people would worship. But maybe Ezekiel or the word of the Lord by Ezekiel here is onto something when the idea is, is that these men have set up idols in their hearts. The Bible throughout its entirety wants to hone in on the fact and us to understand that idolatry is truly a heart issue. And in fact, when something becomes an idol, we often take greater risks for it, do we not? We're willing to go further each time. And the problem is, as we go further and further for something, it only offers more diminishing returns. And we crave it, and we yearn for it, and we go after it until a breakdown occurs. And when we have that breakdown, it's almost like a person might say or consider a hangover. When we have that, that moment, that breakdown, we ask questions like, why? Why has this happened to me? What was I thinking? How could have I have been so blind? And the Bible's answer to that, the Bible's answer as to why this is so, is the fact that truly the human heart is an idol factory. If it's a heart problem and that's what we have to deal with, the human heart is truly an idol factory. As we said, most people hear the idea of the word idol and they think literal statue. But while traditional worship still goes on today, I mean, we can go to foreign countries and we can see uh, traditional idol worship. Internal idol worship is universal. The worship of the heart, true idol worship, internal idol worship within the heart is universal. Most of us would probably be as those elders were. When Ezekiel confronts him and he points the finger at him and he says, you set up idols in your hearts, they're like, whoa, wait a minute, what are you talking about? Not us. There's golden calves, but we don't go to those. There are these people who have idols in their home, but that's not us. And we would be like the elders. We throw our hands up and say, that's not me. But, but yet when we think about this idea of something becoming the center of our lives, our human hearts are often given over to making many things an idol. And so before we talk about some practical points this morning to kind of bring these thoughts to a close and think about some points of action for our life, let's take a quick look at a couple of other things that we sometimes make idols in our lives today. When we think about this list that we put up last week, our hearts can often take good things and deify them, make them deity. We take good things and we make them ultimate things, as we said a few moments ago. I've told you many times, I, I love sports. I love to, to watch sports. Some of you may have known Thursday night was like the first night in history there was basketball and football and soccer and hockey all on the same night together. It was, it's been great the last few days with all these sports coming back. And that's fine to watch and observe. But is it possible for people to make sports an ultimate thing where they give all their time and money to that? What about our job or the money that we have? Sometimes that becomes such an ultimate thing. We would say it's a good thing, but we make it an ultimate thing. You might think it's silly to put pets on the list. But have you ever, ever known anybody that makes a pet similar to an idol? Nothing wrong with having pets. There's nothing wrong with obviously taking care of the pets that you have. But we must be careful that anyone or anything that begins to take the first place in our life is like an idol to us. The first thing we want to talk about as we think about some practical or some things that we're really still struggle with. Last week we talked about relationships. What about our money or our stuff? If you've got your Bibles, let's consider a few passages together. You're familiar with 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse number 10. 
1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse number 10. The, the age-old passage that many people know, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Once again, God would say to have money is not a bad thing, it's a good thing. But to have the love of money, to make money an ultimate thing, then it becomes the root of all kinds of evil. And he even tells us, Paul goes on to warn Timothy, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Our world is filled with stories like that. In fact, uh, Mr. Keller in his book, Counterfeit Gods, begins with talking about the economy sort of busting in 2008. And he actually goes through a list of several of the prominent people in the world who took their own life. A long list of people who had nothing left to live for when the economy went broke and everything sort of turned upside down because they had made making money the primary place in their life. And when there was trouble, they felt like they had nothing left. And it's true that many people find themselves in that type of situation. You remember Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, when Jesus is speaking there in the Sermon on the Mount, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But, on the other hand, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And we know, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We go forward to Matthew 6 and verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and, your Bible may say, mammon. Your Bible may also say riches. It's hard to serve both because we have a competition in our life. Or maybe you're familiar with Luke chapter 12 and verse number 15. Luke 12 and verse number 15. Jesus said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. You know, our kids are, are fairly young and they still have that struggle from time to time, right? Oh, it would be nice to have a, a four-wheeler. It would be nice to have a few more fishing poles. It would be nice to have, you know, fill in the blank with whatever it is, new things and all of this stuff. Once again, there's nothing wrong with having any of those things. But when we begin to make the attainment of those things first in our life, when a father or a husband or a husband and a wife together are willing to spend all of their time at the office in order to have that money, to have that stuff, then we have an issue, and we begin to see that being an idol in our life. What about money or things, our possessions? Can it become an idol? I think most of us agree that that's true. Is it an idol in your life, or is it an idol in my life? Well, things get a little harder then to discern sometimes. Number two, and we're just touching on two very quickly this morning, what about pleasure? What about pleasure? I listed a few things on the screen, but I want to sum it up by the idea of Pleasure. A few passages are listed here on the screen. The first one is 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 12. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse number 12. Do you remember here that when Paul is writing to those in Corinth, they had lots of trouble. They struggle with pleasure from time to time. And so he says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Certainly the case that medication is good for us. Certainly the case that there are many things in our life that would bring us some type of pleasure that can then cause problems for us if we are not careful. 
All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. I will not be brought under the power of any. In Romans chapter 1, in verses 25 through 27, uh, Paul mentions this idea again. Romans 1, 25 through 27, as he thinks about what happens in our lives when we make things the first place. Notice he says that these people who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped, notice we've already been talking about this, worshipped and served the creature, the creation we might say, rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. We see that they begin to take something that God made for good between a husband and a wife, one man, one woman married for one life or one lifetime. God, they take something that God made for good and turn it into something that is no longer good, that becomes an ultimate thing. And even in Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse number 12, were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? No. Exclamation mark. No, not at all. They were not ashamed, nor did they know how to blush. This is the world that we live in currently, and it's been the way the world has been for a long time, but that we take good things and we make them ultimate things. We take things and we take things that might be fun, that could be pleasurable to us. We make them ultimate things, then we have an idol in our life. Now, whether it's relationships, as we said last week, or our stuff, or our money, or pleasure, the truth is that these idols always disappoint. Counterfeit gods. I, I like the term for the book there, the, the title of the book. The idea that these idols, so-called idols in our life, are only counterfeit gods. And counterfeit gods always disappoint. But not only do they always disappoint, but often they do in a very destructive way. Often in a very major way, they cause damage to our lives. Think about a woman who so desires financial security growing up. Maybe she was raised in a home, you know, that didn't have very much money. They struggled from week to week. And so she desires financial, financial security through her life. She de desires it so much so that she marries a wealthy man that she finds who she really doesn't love. Does that solve her problems? Ultimately, or usually not. Usually it just leads to divorce and oftentimes even more financial problems. We think about a group of baseball players so determined to become Hall of Fame level, the greatest names in the game, that they're willing to take performance-enhancing drugs. And what happens? Well, maybe they have body problems, maybe they have the side effects that come along with taking those drugs, but ultimately, as well, their reputation suffers when it's found out that they were cheating, but they wanted it so bad, they were willing to do something that was against the rules. Stories told as well of a field army, an army field officer or a general who wanted to instill in his men so much physical and military discipline that he pushed them and he pushed them and he pushed them until their morale broke. And then as they went into battle, they suffered great casualties, many fatalities, because he had pushed them so far that their morale fell apart. Were these people after bad things? Security? Were they after bad things with, with having success in life? Were they after bad things when you think about wanting someone to be disciplined and being ready to go in battle? No, they weren't. But when something becomes an idol or a counterfeit God, it will always disappoint us. And sometimes, even in the, in the case of that field army, that field officer, so much so that it can be very, very destructive. So what about you? What about me? Do we have this issue 
Do you have a problem with idolatry? Self-reflection can often be very hard for us to do. Maybe the truth is not whether or not you have idols set up in your life because the truth is we all probably do. Maybe they don't always take first place. Maybe there's a rotation in a, in a way. Maybe we do better at some times than others in our life. But maybe the truth of the matter is we all struggle with idolatry in our lives. So the question that we'd like to ask ne- next is how do we discern those idols? How can we tell whether or not we have a problem with idolatry? How can we identify these idols? Three quick points for you. Number one, we look at our imagination. We look at our imagination. If we're trying to determine if something is an idol in our life or we have a problem, let's look at our imagination. The Archbishop William Temple once said, Your religion is what you do with your solitude. Your religion is what you do with your solitude. Where do your thoughts go when there is nothing else demanding your attention? Now don't get me wrong, to have a daydream or a two is is not a a form of idolatry. If you stop during the day and you think about your dream home or you think about a better career or you're thinking about that loved one that you care so much about, uh, to have those kinds of thoughts in and of themselves is not wrong. But is there something that you think about so often Something that you think about that gives you joy and comfort outside of God, that that is where your thoughts go every single free moment that you have, then maybe, just maybe, that's an idol. The first thing we can do is we look at our imagination. Number two, let's look at how we spend our money. We've already talked about Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Very often, your money flows almost effortless, effortlessly. Our money flows effortlessly toward our heart's greatest desire. It's just true. We don't have a problem. We have a problem maybe buying money for this or for that. But we don't have a problem spending money or setting money aside for, for something that we really, really want. So where is our money going? Some people tend to overspend on clothing or on their children in general or symbols like their house or their cars or, or something like that. Once again, I hope that through all of these lessons... You are understanding what I'm saying. There's nothing wrong with spending money on your clothes. We want to look nice and be presentable. There's nothing wrong with having cars or homes or or spending money on our children. But we have to really self-reflect and consider where our money is truly going. Or where the most of our money is going. Is most of our money going to all of those things? Then on Sunday morning we wake up and fish the $2 out of the console in our car? Because then maybe we have a problem with our money. If you do that one time, does that mean you have an idolatry problem? Probably not. But can you reflect enough to consider exactly where our money is going? Because our spending oftentimes reveals our idols. Number three, let's look at how we respond to disappointments. You may be a Christian. You may be a Christian this morning. You may come to worship and Bible class. You may have beliefs. But ask yourself, what are you really living for? Where is your salvation found what is your real god not just your professed god and maybe this is what we're getting at here how do you respond to unanswered prayers or frustrated hopes you see we're going to have disappointments in our life but when we do does it break us and send us into despair or is it something that we can look at and realize that we're sad for a time because we didn't get it or we can't have it or it didn't happen but then we move on Because we realize that our ultimate hope, our ultimate worth is found in God. 
How do you respond to the disappointments in your life? Is it something that you can handle? Or is it something that brings you to the depths of despair because you put all of your time and effort and money and care into that particular thing? So what can we do? If you examine your life over the last couple of weeks and even in these last few moments, if you examine your life and you can discern that maybe, just maybe, you've been putting too much trust, time, and effort into something in your life, what can you do? Well, I would suggest something that Mr. Keller mentions in his book, and that is the idea that idols simply or cannot simply be removed. Is there hope for us if we find that we have an idol in our life? Absolutely, there is hope. When we realize, though, that our idols cannot simply be removed, but that they must be replaced. That is when we can have success with setting aside whatever it is in our life and moving towards God being first place. When we realize that our idols are kind of like those pesky weeds in our garden or in our yard, we pull them up a little bit, but yet they keep coming back. They cannot simply be removed. They must be replaced. It's like anything in life. When you think about death, a person who loses a loved one, we sometimes say that there is then a hole in their life. Well, guess what? That's somewhat true. And that has to be filled with something. Someone who turns to alcoholism or something like that, after the death of a loved one, they've taken that spot and they've filled it with pleasure in something that's not helpful. They've made an idol out of something else. We must realize that whatever it is, our stuff, our money, pleasure, our relationships, we must completely remove them and then replace them. And of course, we want to ultimately replace them with the God of heaven. And I'll leave you with one, one final thought here as we think about what we can do. Number one, we can rejoice. Two final things that we must do and should do to really work on idolatry in our lives. Number one is we must rejoice. If idolatry is setting your whole heart on something besides God, then we must replace that with God. Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 2 says, Set your mind on things above, not on things on this earth. To do that means appreciation, rejoicing for what Christ has done. When we think about our life, are we truly rejoicing for the things that Christ has done for us? When we rejoice in what God has accomplished in Christ, we learn to hate sin. We learn to rejoice in what God has done for us. And think about it. We don't want to hate our family or our jobs, so we rejoice in them properly. Rejoicing in what God has accomplished in Christ, the many spiritual blessings, and yes, even physical blessings that God has promised to us when we follow after Him, we rejoice properly knowing where they come from. When we can rejoice in those things, knowing is that they are God's, that we are blessed, that we are stewards, as Cody reminded us of, properly rejoicing, then there's a good chance that they won't become an idol. Because every time that we stop to think about them, we'll remember where they come from. We'll remember what God has done in Christ for us. And when we rejoice properly, then those things won't be idols and God will maintain first place in our life. But not only that, repent. Rejoice and repent. Of course, maybe repentance is necessary in your life. We talk about repentance and we often say it's a changing of the mind. Ultimately, when it comes to God, our repentance deals with changing our mind from the worldly way of walking and turning towards God. Maybe we need to repent of idolatry in our lives. 
Maybe we need to turn away from the idols that get in the way and we need to turn to God and allow Him to have first place in our lives. It's not always easy. I mean, we're here. We're living here. We think about heaven as being a long ways off. We think about things that would come later. God is not here in the flesh. Uh, Jesus is not here. So, so we deal with the here and now. But then it's very easy because of our human hearts, the weakness of our heart, to make these good things an ultimate thing. I would challenge you from here on, from here on out, for the rest of your life, to take idolatry and not think about the golden calves, to not think about statues or to think about a particular place, but to think about what is first place in your life. What you are giving your time, your effort, your money, your thoughts, what are you giving all of those things to? There's nothing wrong with watching an athletic event. There's nothing wrong with having a car or taking care of your car. There's nothing wrong with, with giving your money towards your children and spending time with your family. But anything that takes the primary place in our life away from God, we're going to have a problem with idolatry. And maybe this morning you need to do a better job rejoicing and repenting. It begins, of course, with making God first place in your life. As we consider God's simple plan of salvation in this song that we're about to sing, we'll be singing to encourage you to become a child of God. Make God first place in your life ultimately today. Don't leave with, with that worry in your heart on your mind, thinking about those things. Make your life right with God even here at this time. Becoming a child of God, allowing God to add you to His church by putting on Christ in baptism and allowing His blood to wash away your sins. It's a great feeling. You see, as we've said time and time again over the last couple of weeks, when we put our trust in idols, we're yearning for something that only God can provide. Our sports teams, our money, our relationships here on earth, they cannot provide us salvation. They cannot provide us ultimate, true, biblical hope. Only God can do that. And this morning, have you given your life to Him? If you've not, why not? Would you consider becoming a Christian? Or maybe you've done that, but as many people of God have done in the past, other things get in the way. We look back at the children of Israel in 1 Kings 18 and, and so many other places, Exodus, and, and so many spots, and we see... Even with God sometimes right there, working in their lives in a miraculous fashion, they still set Him aside and made other things ahead of Him. Maybe you're here today and you're a Christian and you realize that there's a problem of idolatry. Maybe it's something else in your life, a sin of a public nature. It's why we come together and worship God and encourage one another that we may think about our lives. We don't want you to leave worrying about idolatry or something else that's standing between you and God. You can make it right. One of our elders will be coming forward here in just a moment. If you have any need, we'd be willing to help you as we stand together and as we sing.